Thank you, guys. Uh, many of you went to the polls yesterday, did your early voting. Did you know that the polls were open? Okay, dokie. I see a few heads nodding. Um, and so we're in that election season, and so we have been doing a series on the book of Judges, and then we stopped that for three weeks, talked about the Bible, uh, did a series on the Bible, and I just wanted to, before we jump back into Judges, take a minute to speak to the issue of the political cycle that we're in and uh, God and government. Um, you know, it may feel like when you go to the polls that your vote is like a drop of water in an ocean. Uh, and that it doesn't really have that big of an impact. Um, it does. It's our democratic system. We encourage you to go and vote. We expect that you would go and vote. We hope that you would go and vote. But beyond that, how can we have an impact on the election? How can we have an impact in the political scene in government? And so that's what I want to talk about today, how you as a Christian, how myself as a Christian, can have a serious impact on uh, our government. And so that's what I want to talk about. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 10. This is a bunch of verses because the last two weeks you got away with just reading one verse. So we gotta, we're going to make up for it today. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand. Let's read Daniel chapter 10. We'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Daniel chapter 10 verses 1 through 9. This is the last of the visions that Daniel has. Chapters 10, 11, and 12 are all connected. They're all one vision. But this is the introduction to the vision that Daniel has, if you would. So this is what we're reading, Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. Here we go. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless." Then I heard him speaking as I listened to him. I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. Okay, you may be seated. You're saying, Lord, why do you have us read all that stuff? Well, because I want to start cementing in your mind the picture of what's taking place here. We're going to walk through these verses, and we're going to go beyond verse 9 to see what exactly the message was that Daniel was given. But all of this is kind of the opening setting of this vision that's given to Daniel. And when we get through all this, you'll see how it ties into your life and to my life today. So let's, let's kind of walk through these verses beginning at verse 1. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who is also called Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar was Daniel's Akkadian name, or his Babylonian name. Its message, it says, was true, and it was concerned a great war. Now, this is a war going on back in Daniel's day, a specific war that was taking place. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Verse 2, 
And so here's the vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. So for three weeks, Daniel has been led by the Lord to begin this period of mourning, this period of fasting. He goes on to say, verse 3, I ate no choice food, no meat, no wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions, that is, no oils, until the three weeks were over. So it's not a total fast that Daniel uh, engages here. It's a partial fast, but he's not consuming any meat or any food that would be savory. Now, the prophecy that we're told about um, is dated. It says that Daniel received this revelation in the third year of Cyrus. Cyrus became the king of Persia uh, and took over the Babylonian Empire in the year 539 B.C. So the third year of Cyrus, do your math, three years later from 539 would be 536, right? 536, or well, would that be 39, 38, 30? It actually could be 37, the way you think about it. But anyhow, um, Cyrus marched into Babylon on, on 539, so the third year of his reign, I've got written down here, 536. Um, so at this point in Daniel's life, he's in his mid-80s. He's an old man, and so he receives this vision from the Lord, and he's been mourning for three weeks. You say, well, what was he mourning over? Why was he led into this period of fasting? Well, the Bible doesn't say exactly why, but many commentators have said the reason why he was mourning is because many of the Jewish people did not return to their homeland of Israel. See, when Cyrus came on the throne in 539, he lifted the ban of Israelites going back to their homeland. He said, if you want to go back to your homeland, you know, this is in what's modern-day Iraq now, he said, if you want to leave here and go back to Israel, you can go back to your homeland. And Cyrus allowed the Jewish people to do that, but many of the Jewish people, because they had already established themselves in Iraq and in Babylon at that time, they had... You know, they were part of the schools, they were part of the, the civic programs, they, were part of, they had businesses there, they had built, you know, built a life there. They didn't want to leave all that behind and go back to Israel and have to start over again. And so many commentators have suggested, and I think they're right in this, is that this is part of what's gripping Daniel's heart. That he sees so many of the Jewish people not going back to their land of Israel. Look at verse 4. It says, on the 24th day of the first month of the year, this is the month of Nisan, if you're a Jewish person, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris River, notice that Daniel's not standing on the bank of the Jordan River back in Israel. He's standing on the bank of the Tigris River, which is in modern-day Iraq. And so that's where he's at. Um, he didn't go back himself. He'd stayed behind, perhaps because he was so old, perhaps also because he had a position of great prominence and influence that allowed for the Jewish people um, to migrate back home. Verse 5. While he was out there on the bank of the Tigris, it says, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of finest gold around his waist. So as we're starting to uh, unpack this image of what this figure, this angelic figure, creature, looks like. Just kind of start to imagine in your mind. It has a belt that looks like gold. It says that he was dressed in fine linen. Verse 6, his body was like chrysolite. Chrysolite is a bright, uh, very uh, sparkling uh, mineral. His face looked like lightning. His eyes. Imagine flashes of lightning firing through this guy's eye, through this guy's face. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. So this is everything about this character is just glowing. It's bright. It's shining. It says his voice sounded like that of a multitude. So Daniel sees this very unusual, very glorious angelic creature standing there in front of him while he's standing on the shores of the Tigris River. Now, because of the similarity of this vision to the vision that John has in Revelation chapter 1, some commentators have suggested that who Daniel is seeing is Jesus in, there in front of him in his, uh, with his glory unveiled uh, in his pre-incarnate self. So before he came to the womb of Mary, that here's Jesus, 
and he's standing before Daniel. And you could go back and forth as to whether or not you think that's who it is. Personally, I don't think that that's who Daniel's talking about here because every time Jesus shows up in the Old Testament, the Bible always recognizes that this is who this is that, that, that the biblical character is looking at, and they always refer to him as the Lord with a capital L. But when this particular character gets referred to in the biblical text, it's always Lord with a little L, and you'll see that later in verse 13. Verse 7, okay? I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. So just like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, the guys that were with the Apostle Paul didn't see what Paul saw, but they knew something was going wrong, and they all split. Well, same thing here with Daniel. Uh, Daniel has this vision, this angelic creature. They don't see the angelic creature themselves. They don't see this glorious figure there in front of them. However, uh, they know something's amiss, and so they all head for the hills as well. Look at verse 8. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left, he says. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. This is his description of himself. I mean, he's just struck down at being able to stand and look at this angelic creature. You say, why does this angelic creature glowing and have all this glory going on? Well, because this angelic creature has come from the presence of God. And this angelic creature has now got some of the God glow, if you would, God's glory emanating off of him. It's the same thing as Moses when he went up to Mount Sinai and talked with God on Mount Sinai. And then when he came down from the mountain, nobody could look on Moses' face. He had to wear a veil over his face because he had participated with been in the presence of God. And so the same thing with this angelic creature here that's glowing. Uh, verse 10 uh, and he, he touched me and set, my, set me trembling on my hands and knees, verse 11, and he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have been sent to you. So this angelic creature with all of his glory has been sent, is on a mission to come have a conversation with Daniel. Now here's where it gets interesting. Um, somebody's next to you, they're starting to kind of drift a little bit. Give them an elbow, okay? He said, when he said to me, and so I stood up trembling, verse 12, and then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day your mind was set to gain understanding, and that is when this three-week fast began, from the very first day of that, um, to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. So this angelic creature was sent by God three weeks ago from the time that Daniel has this vision. So three weeks earlier, Daniel began this period of mourning, began this period of this fast. Three weeks before, now three weeks later, 21 days later, he's standing on the shores of the Tigris River having this vision. But the angel just told Daniel that three weeks ago, when you had this period of mourning start, when this period of fasting start, I was sent by God to come and meet you. And so the question is, well, where have you been? Right? For three weeks. I mean, where have you been? And so the angel goes on to tell us, verse 13, the prince, here's, why, here's what held me up, the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for the 21 days. So from the time that you sought God for understanding, from the time that this period of mourning and fasting began, God sent me to come talk to you, to share with you the information that I'm about ready to give you. But the reason that I was held up, the reason why I couldn't get to you, Daniel, is because for the last 21 days, I've been engaged in battle. For the last 21 days, the prince of Persia has been resisting me, has been holding me back, has, been kept, has kept me from coming to see you. So this powerful angel 
with his white robes, with his fiery eyeballs, with his gleaming skin, a very impressive angel, has been held up, has been resisted by another angelic creature. You say, Gordon, what makes you think that the one designated the prince of Persia is another angelic creature? Well, I mean, Cyrus is the king of Persia. He's not the prince of Persia, and he's a pretty powerful guy. But I don't think that Cyrus has anything on this angelic creature. I mean, I don't think Cyrus is going to engage in a wrestling match that lasts for 21 days and that Cyrus continues to win for 21 days until finally Cyrus gives out and the angel is able to make his way off. So I don't think that the prince of Persia, we're not talking here about uh, a, a, a human being. We're talking here about another, this prince of Persia, another angelic creature that this particular angelic creature that's talking to Daniel has been engaged in a wrestling match with, if you would. Um, so who is this prince of Persia? Well, again, I think the only explanation that remains is that the prince of Persia is some kind of an evil angel that has been resisting, that has been resisting this angel, some kind of a demonic force that's under the direction of Satan himself. And if that's true, then look at what we're being told in this passage of Scripture. That is that the Persian Empire, get this, don't miss this, that the Persian Empire had an evil demonic force that was pulling the strings and working behind the scenes. That the Persian Empire, with Cyrus the king, had an evil demonic force that was working behind the scenes and pulling the strings. And so um, what we learn in verse 20, we don't have to go over there just yet, but verse 20 tells us that there's also a prince of Greece. Same kind of thing. And this prince of Greece is working behind the scenes, behind nations, as an evil demonic force that is pulling the strings of what's happening. And uh, we also learn in verse 21 that Daniel himself has an angel assigned to him, and that this angel is named Michael. Michael is the archangel. And so um, this is Daniel's special defender. Now, the logical conclusion here is that God is working behind the scenes, friends, of nations and empires. See, there's a good angel and there's a bad angel. And the bad angel is resisting the good angel. And the good angel's been trying to get to Daniel to share him, with the, share him with this good news, share him with this message. And the bad angel didn't want the good angel to make that trip to see Daniel. Because he's working behind the scenes trying to manipulate what takes place among nations and among empires. To try and accomplish Satan's purposes, to thwart the purposes of God. But that also behind the scenes of world history are good angels. And that is those forces that God sets in place to help move forward his agenda, move forward his uh, purposes in the world. Leopold, one commentator said, and I'll quote, bad angels are without a doubt referred to here. These demonic powers gained a very strong influence over certain nations, in this particular case Persia, and the government of these nations. They became the controlling power of these nations, and they used whatever resources they can muster to hamper God's work and to thwart his purposes. This passage gives us a rare glimpse behind the scenes of world history. There are spiritual forces at work and far are in, that, are in far, that are far in excess of what men who disregard revelation would suppose. These forces struggle behind the scenes that are written on the pages of history. End quote. Verse 15. While he was saying all this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Verse 16. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. And I began, and I said to the one standing in front of me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, 
talk with the Lord. My strength is gone, and I can hardly even breathe, he says, verse 18. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed. Peace, be strong uh, now. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. Verse 20, so the angel said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight. Here it goes again. Here comes the angel getting ready to engage in spiritual battle behind the scenes, behind what's happening amongst nations. Verse 20, so the angel said, Do you know why I've come to you? Soon I'll return to fight against the prince of Persia. When I go from there, then I'll go to the prince of Greece, and they will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against these princes except Michael, your prince. So here's the angel uh, referring to this archangel, this defender, personal defender of Daniel himself. Verse 1, last verse of chapter 11. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect them. Did you just get that? Daniel said, after hearing this message, that he then took his place to support these angels in their work behind the scenes. And when I finish delivering this message to you today, I hope that what you'll see is that we can participate in supporting the spiritual warfare that's going on behind the scenes amongst nations in the world today. I think the implications are very clear, that going on behind the scenes of human history are many, many spiritual battles, both large and small, some for the hearts of individual people and some for the strategic maneuvering of nations, and how neat it is that the Bible pulls back the curtain for us for such a rare glimpse. I mean, just peels back the curtain and gives us a very rare glimpse as to what's going on behind the scenes of our political system, of what's going on behind the scenes of our government. Okay, well, that's as far as you want to go with this passage today. I know it's a whole lot of verses and a whole lot of uh, chrysolites and other things to throw at you. So it means it's time for us to ask our most important question. What difference does any of this make to my life? You say, Gordon, if these angels are spiritual beings and the ones are fighting and, and the good ones are fighting the bad ones and the bad ones are trying to disrupt the plans of God, I don't see how I can have any impact on what these angels are doing out there where they're, where they're at. You say, Gordon, Gordon, you said yourself that not even powerful King Cyrus was a match for one of these angels. I mean, so what difference does any of this make to me? Well, let's talk about that. You see, Daniel chapter 10 reveals the reality of something that is talked about in a few other places in the Bible. If you have your Bibles open, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 6 or follow along with us on the screen. Um, and there is an enormous spiritual conflict. This is what Ephesians chapter 6 reveals to us, that there's an enormous spiritual conflict taking on, going on behind the scenes of our political system, of our government system, and even within our own lives. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul says these words, For we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against principalities, against rulers in the darkness of this world. And so here Paul confirms what Daniel chapter 10 reveals is a reality that is, that behind the scenes there is spiritual conflict, there is spiritual warfare going on. That's a consistent message through the Old Testament, through the New Testament. Now, many times we take these verses to heart regarding our own personal lives. You say, yeah, I mean, I can feel that there's something going on in my life, something trying to oppress me, something trying to hold me back, something trying to war against me, keep me from obeying the Lord, keep me from following after the Lord, keep me from pursuing the Lord. 
keep the Lord's blessing out of my life. And so we tend to think, well, this is all, you know, these verses are focused on my individual life. But what Daniel tells us is that in chapter 10 is that that is not only true of you and me personally, but that it is also true of world events and politics. That there is a struggle going on between evil angels and angels of God for the hearts of humanity, and that nations rising and falling are an integral part of that struggle. Hmm. That's from the Bible. That's not from Gordon, by the way. I mean, that's, that's the picture of what the Bible reveals to us, that there is more going on in politics than meets the eye. And that explains how an evil person like Hitler, think about this, could capture the hearts of a nation and get German people to do the things that he had them out there doing. You think to yourself, how could a person with any slight slim bit of conscience do the things that the Nazi Germany soldiers were doing to their own citizens, to any human being for that matter? And it's because there are spiritual forces of darkness working behind the scenes to manipulate people, to manipulate governments, to move things in a direction away from God's purposes and designs. That is that there is spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes, friends, of our Supreme Court nominations. Don't you doubt it. There is spiritual warfare going on behind the Supreme Court decisions that are being made. There is spiritual warfare going on in each and every election cycle, and we're in the middle of one of those right now. There is spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes of wars between nations, behind treaties, behind the rise and fall of oil prices in the international monetary system. Friends, we get a small glimpse of all of that right here in Daniel chapter 10. Now, you say, Gordon, am I supposed to be scared? Because honestly, it's a little scary. No, you're not supposed to be scared at all. In fact, we as Christians have angels to protect us. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 reminds us that we have angels just like Daniel did, the archangel Michael, to protect him. And we have angels that protect us as children of God. No doubt that the prince of Asia, whoever that angel was, was certainly um, out to get Daniel. But whether it was the lion's den that was after Daniel or some other calamity that was coming after him, Daniel came out of each one of those untouched. God's purposes were going to take place through Daniel's life, regardless of what the angels of darkness might do. Um, So the angel couldn't harm Daniel because God had his mightier angel there to protect him. So there's no reason for us to fear. But what I want to share with you this morning is that there is a reason for us to pray. Pray. We don't need to walk around worried about, you know, the spiritual forces coming in and taking over our lives. But there is a reason for us to pray because those spiritual forces are out there working in the world behind the scenes of our government, of politics, of Supreme Court decisions, all those sorts of things that then impact us as a culture that drive the direction of where we're heading as a nation. If you look back at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul goes on to say, and pray, listen to this, and pray, he says, in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Verse 19, pray, he says, also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will be fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, pray, he says again, that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul is giving us weapons in our struggle against spiritual forces of evil. 
Now, the Bible says that we have the armor of God at our disposal, that most of those, though, are defensive weapons, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. Those are all defensive weapons. We're only given two offensive weapons. You say, Gordon, what you're talking about, there's only one offensive weapon that Paul mentions there in Ephesians chapter 6. No, he actually mentions two. One of them is the sword of the Spirit, that is truth, the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. That's an offensive weapon that we can hurl God's truth at the lies of the world. But also another offensive weapon that Paul gives us, and we just got done reading it, is that we get on our knees and that we pray. And that our prayers have an impact. That is Ephesians 5 and verse 16 says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. It's not lost on heaven. And when you get on your knees and you spend time before the Lord, that's not lost on heaven. Why is that? Because our struggle, friends, is not against flesh and blood. It's against powerful forces of evil in heavenly places. How can we have a role in seeing them defeated? How can we have a role in affecting political uh, comings and goings and world events? Friends, we can have an impact, just like Daniel said. He took his stand to support these angels in their war, in their effort, by praying for God to move. Daniel got on his knees, and that's how we can have an impact beyond just our vote. Friends, we need to be vigilant in prayer on behalf of our family and our church and lost people. But friends, we need to understand that the real enemy was not bin Laden. He was just a pawn. And the real enemy was not Hitler. He was just a pawn that was being used by spiritual forces of wickedness to accomplish Satan's purposes. The real enemy are the angelic forces behind the scenes that Daniel chapter 10 has given us a glimpse of, and that Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us again is very much a reality. So let me ask you something. How is your prayer life on this issue? How's your prayer life on this issue? When's the last time any of us took the matters of the heads of state to the throne of God? You know, most times when we get on our knees, isn't it true that our prayers go no farther than our household, than the things that are immediately concerning to us? Many times we drop to our knees and we pray, God, oh, help me with this. God, help me with that. God, we need help in this area of our life. Lord, help our family. Isn't that? And so that's what most of our prayers are like. Our prayers are very narrow in that sense. They seem so meager. But when you think about what we could accomplish in prayer, to get on our knees and to say, Lord, I understand that what's going on in the Middle East right now, what's going on in North Korea, what's going on in Iran, what's going on around the world in the disruption uh, of, of missions, the disruption of the gospel going forward into those parts of the world, what's going on in our own political system right now and how America has been reshaped and our value systems have been changed so dramatically, that all of that is not just a manipulation of human beings, but rather that it is spiritual war forces behind the scenes, spiritual forces of evil behind the scenes that are radically changing your life and mine. For missionaries around the world and countries, we think that the enemy of missionaries are the departments of interior who won't allow them to go in and share the gospel, who won't allow them to bring Bibles and share about Jesus. But friends, those state department people are not the real enemy. They're just 
pawns. That's all they are. It's the spiritual forces behind them that are trying to hinder the gospel from spreading around the world. They use these government people as pawns in these nations. And so we need to pray not just for the ministry of the interior, but we need to pray that God, by his own mighty angels, would set these evil angels at bay. That God would give a wide berth to missionaries. That God would give open doors to the preaching of the gospel in nations where the gospel is closed. We can affect the world, friends, from our knees. What we see happening and the forces that appear to be driving it is really not what's driving it. It's not some super smart human being. Rather, it is the spiritual forces of darkness working behind the scenes, pulling the strings, affecting nations, governments, your life, and mine. Friends, just think of what we can do in prayer for our own nation. If just the group of us would get on our knees and would petition God for his forces of good, for the angelic forces that are out there warring behind the scenes to have victory and to accomplish what God's purpose and his design are for our nation. Just think of the unbelievable struggle that's going on behind the scenes for America. Just think of the fight that must be going on even now for the decisions that are being handed down by our Supreme Court over gay rights issues, over abortion, over taxation, over the unbridled powers of the executive branch. Just think of the struggle that's going on in our universities, in our halls of academia, that have turned so far away from any recognition of God and his role in our life. There are angels working today to rip down America because America, friends, has been the greatest lighthouse for the gospel that the world has ever known. Why wouldn't Satan want to take America down? It's been a light for the gospel. And so Satan wants us to be rather placed under the judgment of God. So when was the last time we got on our knees and prayed for America and prayed for the heavenly conflict that's going on. Friends, God has a lot in store for us as a nation if we are willing to pray, if we're willing to go to our knees and make an impact on where the real battle is taking place. Spiritual warfare. Is it happening in your life? You betcha. Is it happening at a level of government and politics? You betcha. It sure is. May God help us to get to our knees and affect the world from there. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for pulling back the curtain this morning and allowing us to have a glimpse of what's going on behind the scenes, of where the real battle lies. Lord, teach us to pray in a way that will have an impact and an effect on the direction of our nation. Call every body of Christ around this country to go to our knees and plead with you, Lord. Plead with you that your forces of good would have victory over those evil angels. Lord, there are 
evil forces that are strongly at work in our world trying to push gay rights, trying to push the murder of the unborn, trying to push a liberal agenda on this country. And Lord, they're doing it through a liberal media that is manipulated by evil forces. God, may we see where the real battle is taking place. And may we realize that as we are sliding down that slippery slope toward your judgment, that, Lord, that can be reversed and turned around as the people of God come to their knees and have an impact on what's taking place on the real battlefield. Call us to that battleground, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's holy name.